if you're not playing on a 3DO system. What are you playing with? Presenting 3DO, the most advanced home gaming system in the universe. It's time to put away your toys. Get a free John Madden football and crash and burn when you buy a 3DO system. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I am not Zach. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. <laughs> hey, it seemed like a good idea at the time, you know? You have to cap it off with, that's right. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. As evident by Zach not being in the studio, unfortunately, after forever many episodes that we've recorded and how many, I think it's we're at at least two years of recording. Zach, uh, he's not dead. Just he's, everyone's okay. I haven't like just replaced him with um, Jim, who if you which we'll we'll get to about who Jim is in just a bit. But uh, Zach uh, is uh, sick inconveniently. Uh, I have written a letter of complaint to his uh, department, and uh, I, I expect him to be back up and running, uh, hopefully momentarily. But he will not be joining us today. I have to grieve a little bit. When I was brought on, I was told I was just going to be a guest. But now that I'm shouldering, I know I'm shouldering hosting duties. I think my uh, I think my rate's going to have to increase a little I, bit. My well, uh, my agent will be in touch with you to discuss the increase in my pay. You let your your agent know. It's best to send any bills in a in a pink paper that because that's what the electric company does to us. <laughs> so any any bills, pink envelopes, and pink paper that makes us know that we have to pay you. Of course it does. So Zach will not be joining us, and Jim will be back with both of us at some point in time because we did promise him a guest slot, and we're now having him shoulder. But Jim, just no, I'm glad to. Don't it, even worry about it. You woke up today, and it, it's you, right? I mean, this, this this should be part of the course of how you're life goes it's <laughs> well, the story of my life man <laughs> exactly it's just like Pod, it's and, and just... believe me podcast host foibles are certainly not lost to me not in not in uh 15 years of podcasting no not at all be that as it may bear with us we're still going to bring you guys uh the great content perhaps even greater content we'll get all the we'll get everyone writing and being like please replace zach more than likely we'll get people writing in being like this is the worst episode ever because i hate seth as a host <laughs> oh fair enough at least jim will he's, he's really got to work like 130 percent because he's got to kick up for my 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 lack of 100 but anyway be that as it may so let's talk about first of all before we get into really even the whole formula jim uh why don't you tell the listeners about uh, yourself. As context, uh, Jim and I go pretty well back. Jim and I have been friends for more than a decade now. Well, I, I've been friends with you since I met you when you were 15 years old. That's right. And for the listeners, I am I am no longer 15. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you are involved in the gaming community, though. And oh, sure. people who are listening to this also enjoy video games. Why don't you uh, let us know about the various different ways that they can find you on the internet? Well, a couple things, uh, and I'm going to get a couple of shameless plugs in. I'm Jim. I am, have wear many, many hats. One thing is I run and own a, uh, a media performance consulting company called Bohemia Creative Services. And one of the things I do is I do it. I, I uh, am an independent contractor that uh, produces podcasts for entrepreneurs and other people looking to do that as well as doing like performance coaching things like that I have a background in the theater so I do quite a bit of things there I do some uh, light audio and uh, video work as well so that's like mundane shit that I do oh I'm sorry are we allowed to uh are we allowed to curse here yes also Zach will well he the FCC comes in and bleeps everything out so don't worry okay yeah, <laughs> but okay. but yeah no um, but don't worry yeah it's funnier then, if we bleep it out okay and what else do I do um on a more interesting note um I've been playing video games since I was uh, six years old, and I sat in my mom's apartment, sitting down in front of the Atari 2600, the new Atari 2600. I'm old. Jim is no longer six. <laughs> 
playing uh, Pac-Man for the uh, Atari, which I didn't know at the time when I was a kid that it was one of the most horrible ports ever. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, um, I am currently uh, can be found on Twitch. I am a retro gaming streamer on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Evil Jim X. Come on down. We're a conversational stream mostly. The games are almost often secondary, but we have a really good time. I do a lot of things to self-deprecate myself on, on stream, be it anywhere from doing bad Sean Connery impressions to wearing a Doctor Doom mask and dancing like a goofy fat man. Stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's those are the current things that I'm involved in. I've also, as I said, been podcasting for a very long time. I'm currently in between projects on podcasting, but uh, hope to be back in the saddle very soon. I got some ideas brewing. Perhaps even on this one. <laughs> Listen, Seth, as I said, you and, I have been, you, and I, you and I have been friends for a very long time. So I am more than happy to help out. And hey, I guess I like Zach, too. So I'm glad, I, I'm glad to help out whenever and however I can. I'm doing it for your dad, Seth. I'm doing it for your dad. Our family appreciates you. I do like Jim's Twitch streams. I'm, I am not commonly on Twitch, but however, if I do find myself late at night and Jim is live, I try to stop by and say hello. And his Twitch streams are awesome. They're fun. There's a great community. He is by far hilarious. I really think you missed your calling of like stand-up comedian level. Uh, I mean, when, when, yeah, when I was, when I was uh, a kid, when I was in college, um, I dabbled with it, with stand-up yeah. uh, and monologue work. There's too much risk involved. That's the problem is I'm a wimp. You know, there, there's too much risk involved in comedy, man. You know, it's like they used to say, dying is easy, comedy is hard. So, no, I'm all set. But thank you. I appreciate that. I do try to be funny. It's a good show, so I, I definitely recommend. And it's consistent, and there's usually a VOD. There's more than a usually a VOD. There's a ton of VODs to watch. And Jim's community is very good at clipping the perfect moments in time. I also have a nascent YouTube channel connected to the stream, but I don't really pimp that yet because I have, like, 10 pieces on it so don't even bother um so yeah so check out uh jim's twitch at, uh evil jim x and we will talk about jim and his stuff that he does at the end of the show as well now i've already explained the format to jim so if you're a listener you should know what the format is because we're on episode 100 and something uh, which is th- ridiculous I mean, I'm by the like way mid 30s or mid 40s or something i don't I, I forget doug is actually our corrections officer so he sends in any uh, edits or any corrections so he'll be able to complain about certain things is it the same doug it's like like my doug yes when i had a uh, a podcast uh called couch grouches doug was a regular contributor to the point where we actually had a theme song for him so it, yeah oh yes oh yeah doug was doug was definitely a uh, uh was definitely a part of it he's our angry producer he sits in the room over there and yells at us <laughs> but uh yeah so uh so jim's aware of the format and i'm not going to explain the format since everybody's aware of the format so jim what have you been recently been playing it's funny you should ask so on twitch i play mostly retro role-playing games and i do that because i like to um i like to do a lot of conversational stuff on my on my stream so when you're playing a, a role-playing game and not trying to speed run or not playing anything that's super involved you can look up from your screen look at your chat engage with your community so right now on Twitch, I am doing a first time ever playthrough of Super Mario RPG. I had never played wow. it before. And I'm 45 years old and I had never played Super Mario RPG. I own it, but I'd never played it. So I'm playing it now. I'm about three quarters done. I'm enjoying it thoroughly. Offline. So not to get too personal, but I'm bipolar. So I have like comfort things. Like a lot of yeah, people sure. that are like me and have ADD like to go back and like watch a show they've watched a million times or play a video game they've played a million times so i'm currently playing through an old save of fallout 4 and whenever i am just randomly if i'm like downstairs with my three-year-old and he's watching tv and i'm letting my wife sleep i got my switch and i'm playing just vanilla skyrim as well so nice. you know, really two go to the <laughs> well type things i also play the game that i call the best three dollars i've ever spent on steam playing a lot of vampire survivors it's an inane ridiculous game that i enjoy thoroughly 
Uh, I recommend it. Check it out. It's almost like a, an idler type game, isn't it? It's like one part idler, one part moving tower defense. It's it's a really cool. Now there are a bunch of clones out there that are really good. Some of them are really good, really advanced from where Vampire Survivors started off. But it's just it's fun and the music is spectacular and it's a really fun, easy game to to get into. And again, I, I'm not really a huge indie game person because I'm old and grumpy, but I really enjoy it. So I recommend it highly. I'm receiving no compensation for giving this endorsement. I wish I was. And there's no pay to play or any transactional stuff on it. It's all it's very clean game. So yeah, that's that's what I'm playing right now. I own Vampire Survivors. I haven't been playing it recently, but uh, I've seen a lot of like these idler type of like I call it like games you can play at work while you're working from home. Absolutely. Uh, the game is completely passive. The only thing that you do is control the movement of the character. There's no there's no weapon activation. You're just literally the weapons are constantly going and you're just going and moving about trying to strategically place yourself in harm's way while not getting harmed because you need to kill to get XP and it's you know and then you upgrade as you get XP. It's a silly game. It is so much especially and the game gets increasingly harder. The hordes get bigger and it's really a cheap adrenaline hit. It's very chill though. It's meditative. The music's spectacular so that's that's vamp Vampire Survivors available on Steam. <laughs> That's right. So I've recently been playing uh, The Witcher 3, uh, Wild Hunt with all the DLC and all that jazz. It actually came out back in 2015 by CD Projekt Red. And I was just thinking, I was like, geez, 2015 is starting to feel like a while ago. And, and The Witcher 3 still is really like legit. Yeah, I've started that game 10 times and it's beautiful. It's a good game and I love role-playing games and it's not really, it's it's a it's a role-playing action adventure game Um, but nothing negative about it. It's just, it's a very big game to get involved in. There's yes, a lot is. going on and it's all over the place and I feel like for me that it's a difficult game to pick back up once you've put it down. Yeah, I've actually held off on talking so I'm I'm always I'm always playing a few games at once as you are as well and a lot of us do and so The Witcher Three is actually a game that I have started. This is my I think my third time going through it. I am assisted this time through it because I have received things from a doctor to help me maintain focus. So it's I tend to use those for work. For <laughs> by the time I get home to play video games, it's worn off and I want to sleep at night. So taking yes. a lot of this, I get you though. Oh, I understand. It it helps. But anyway, just in case anyone is curious about the Witcher. It covers the journey of Geralt of Rivia, who is a Witcher, who's a mutated monster hunter, and he spends his the purpose of the game trying to find his ward, who is Ciri. But he also spends his damn time doing it. Uh, oh, like the side quests are just ridiculous. He plays cards. He gets into competitive fights. Can I ask you something honest? Do you really think we need to explain what the Witcher is about? I feel like that game is so ubiquitous and so popular that it's almost like us going, well, there's this game called Mario. And Mario yeah. is a plumber who but, is trying to save his girlfriend, who is whoa. not actually his girlfriend, whoa. because she it's actually gets... Jim. She she actually gets kidnapped on purpose by this giant turtle. When you come in the studio, you need to put on your pedantic hat. And then <laughs> you need to explain everything to everybody. That's part of our charm. <laughs> I like it so that the casual observer, who's not necessarily fully drenched into gaming culture, can listen and say, oh, I can kind of understand the game that he's describing. I mean, it's not because it's just a popular Netflix series, has three major games, and also has a pretty well diverse book series. Doesn't mean that everybody knows about it. But anyway, back to my fun joke about Geralt being really bad at actually doing quests. He spends his time doing everything but looking for Siri. I, I mean, like, he's literally racing horses for money. <laughs> like, this guy is, like, out there doing his own thing. You gotta respect him, though. You gotta respect the fact that while he's doing his own thing, he is still a working man. He's out there trying to make money. He's taking jobs. The man is a professional monster hunter. He still needs to eat and pay the bills. True. And literally, you spend that game doing your job, while at the same time, you kind of have to do this thing and find this girl and find this you know chase after your girlfriend and then you know, oh my god that f 
game is huge. So there was a moment in time um, where I was doing everything Witcher. So I was reading the book, I was watching the show, and I was playing the game all at once because my wife wanted to watch the show. So we were watching the show and I was like, this guy explains to everybody that he is a witcher. He says he is a witcher. Like, I want to say at least like every other word he has to like when he's like, hello, I'm Geralt of Rivia. I'm a witcher. And everyone's like, or they'll be like, oh, you're going to stand up and fight that person by yourself. And he's like, well, I'm a witcher. And I'm like, what? This guy literally uses it as like his like go to adjective to describe himself. Which is funny because the witchers, because of their mutation, are so easily identifiable by people. It's like they wear a medallion. It would be like a ginger walking around going, yes, I burn in the sun very easily. I'm a redhead. You know, it's it's like, yes, I can see you're a redhead. I can see that you burn. in the. You're literally sizzling in front of me right now. So literally this guy's like, yes, I'm a witcher. Uh, really? No, I didn't know that. The two swords, giant medallion and weird eyes don't tell me that you're a witcher. You literally have cat eyes. <laughs> Just like, get out of here. But anyway, it's a fun game. Oh my God, it's so good. If you have yet gotten into it, it is, as Jim said, a very, very long game. I would probably mm-hmm. say that I'm about 30%. I am going a very obnoxious way of doing it, but a way that Jim would probably appreciate it. I have a list of quests in order of to do based on your location. Like, here are the quests yeah. that you should collect as you do that's it. The way I, and that's I'm the way I do it I'm going well, yeah. down the list making sure that I hit every quest that I can, as I'm, I'm sure Jim would appreciate that. I, I seriously think it. no exaggeration, and I can look it up. The game's gotta take 120 hours to complete. I think that's that's prior to the DLC as well, once you layer I think you're right. Up. I think you're right. Needless to say, it's robust. Do you know what is also robust? Perhaps the 3DO. Oh, jeez. No, that's the thing. The 3DO, it was robust with a bunch of crap. But yeah. Is that are we is that is that your segue? That's gonna be my that's that's my horrible segue. Zach's usually the one in charge of segues, so yeah. So yeah, so today we originally planned this episode to talk about the 3DO with Jim, mostly because Zach and I didn't own a 3DO, nor did we really, I even, I didn't, I don't even think I acknowledge its existence, but Jim appreciates the 3DO. He's a 3DO fan Mm -hmm. and is uh, a knowledgeable man about the 3DO. And we wanted to spread the knowledge in our very pedantic way of explaining what a 3DO is. And perhaps maybe our listeners don't necessarily know about a 3DO, unlike The Witcher. I would be more than happy to talk about the 3DO with you, Seth. Um, How should I start? What start at the beginning? getting. So I understand that the idea of the 3DO came from Trip Hawkins, who was the founder of Electronic Arts. And Electronic Arts was Mm -hmm. founded back in 1982. And prior to Trip founding EA, he was an Apple employee. That is correct. Trip had a lot of cachet in the video game industry to begin with. His his connections at Apple um, and his experience in Apple not only gave him cachet in the software field, but he had quite a bit of cachet in the hardware field, really in, in the design field, I should say. And really what he did was he headed up a team that created created this video game infrastructure and his goal was to when when the 3DO when he dis, when the 3DO was launched the 3DO was really the first I don't want to say it was the first but it was uh an early 32-bit system. And it was an early legitimate 32-bit system. You know, so it wasn't like the uh, 32X, which you threw on the top of your Genesis and gave you 16 more bits of power, which is complete and total drivel, by the way. It was a disc-based, a CD-based video game system. And uh, before we go into how it was, you know, marketed and distributed, the idea of it was it was really the first concept for a set-top box. Mm -hmm. The idea being that this was going to be more than a video game system. This was going to be something that you could play games on, could eventually watch films on, which you'd never really got a chance to be able to do because the system failed, listen to music on, and it was set up, you know, the hardware was done in such a way where um, it could take advantage of that kind of multimedia approach. 
one of the unfortunate things about that was it, you know, ended up, and we'll talk about it more, making it made it more expensive because of what the system actually was. Even looking at pictures of the 3DO, now I know, and we'll talk about this, it was manufactured by a number of different people, so there may be differences mm-hmm. in how they look because a manufacturer may put their own spin on it. However, sure. looking at like the Panasonic one, it looks a lot like something you would find in, I would say, my like uncle's hi-fi audio stack, right? You know, like exactly, exactly, because there was that period of time, and I think we've departed from it, where you would have these massive racks of different components to listen to music and watch your TV, and that's really where I was trying to get into. For those of you that don't remember, really, what you had when you had a really high end stereo system, like Seth said, you had multiple components. So, and the king, like the thing that everything was built around, was your receiver, and your your receiver was going to determine the fidelity of your sound, how much you could manipulate the sound, uh, manipulate depth and, and 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 scope and things like that with it. And then from that receiver, you bought a tape deck, you bought a turntable, you bought a CD player, you and and you know this allowed you to really customize and put together you know exactly what you were looking for. And you say that the 3DO did in many ways look like the type of thing that would be found there as opposed to sitting next to your Super Nintendo. Right. I feel like the regular Nintendo, the NES, kind of tried to do a little looking kind of like a consumer-grade product instead of like a Mm -hmm. video game console. But most of the video game consoles pre-NES and post-NES really just looked like a video game console. Well, with like exceptions with like the Philips CDI and stuff like that. But you know, the Philips CDI was in direct response to that is the the 3DO aesthetic. Which is fun because I don't think either of them were very successful. No, I would say the 3DO was considerably more successful than the CDI, but Philips couldn't get a license to uh, to do 3DO, which is one of the reasons why they went and did CDI. I love when companies do that. I love when companies can't get something, so they try to make something else and they make something just bad. In the end, and this is getting ahead of us, but it's a kind of a good way to do an intro, th- what happened with 3DO is that it was too ambitious, and I don't feel like it had the infrastructure nor was the public looking for what it purported to be able to provide. I think that uh, video games, while very popular, weren't as culturally ubiquitous as they are today. I think that you had in the 3DO kind of an attempt to take a video game and not make it a toy. Because, you know, we talk about, oh, things looking like they could be kind of integrated into your everyday life. You go back as far as the Atari 2600, the Atari 2600 itself had an aesthetic for its period. In the 80s, in the late 70s, early 80s, everything looked like it had a, it was made of wood paneling. It was bizarre. Everything was wood paneled. And what did they do with the Atari 2600? They took this plastic video game system and they put wood panel decals on it. And I get why they did that. And it was it was a viable, kind of inexpensive strategy to do it. Um, the 3DO tried to look high tech. That was its big thing. It wanted to look like a piece of technology not like a toy. And that was its aesthetic. Kind of moving to, you know, what we've kind of already talked about. The 3DO in and of itself, the 3DO company never made its own systems. They created this hardware infrastructure and they licensed it to different companies. And they actually licensed it to more companies than who actually ended up producing the console. The three that came out were the uh, the original, the, the Panasonic Real 3DO, which is called, that was its brand, the Real 3DO. And when you think of 3DO, that's going to be the one that most people think of. It was uh, a large, heavy black box with a CD tray. And yeah, I mean, it definitely had uh, a different aesthetic than other video game systems at the time. Sanyo had another one which was a front loader as well uh, with a CD tray. And then Gold Star came out with one that was a top loader. Similar to like the PlayStation 1. Right. The the thing in a, in a retro game aspect is I own a, uh, a Panasonic. I own a Panasonic 3DO. Uh, the Gold Star one is actually the one for retro gamers that is uh, still the most stable, is still the one that's easiest to use. It has fewer moving parts. That CD drawer and the whole thing in general with CD players, that CD drawers, the motor on that is one of the first things that goes. It, it's funny from a retro gaming standpoint, those gold stars are kind of are kind of the, the ones 
ones that people are looking for and they tend to be when in trade or you know at a sale they tend to be a little bit more expensive and harder to find the 3do also in my opinion had the distinction of having a very very um crappy controller scheme the controller itself was fine it had a standard directional pad similar to actually more akin to the genesis as opposed to the nintendo it's very genesis-esque well it was smaller than the genesis controller even the six button genesis controller was smaller the thing that was terrible about it was the 3do's almost i believe they all had this i don't believe this was just the panasonic they only had one input on the system for your controller and the way that you used additional controllers was you daisy chain them through the top of each controller you could daisy chain a number of controllers but it was really unwieldy if you're trying to play you already have a cable to the system then you have to plug another one in so that somebody else can play it, it i never liked it at all <laughs> so it was an interesting beast it was an interesting kind of uh precursor to the the fifth generation of of video game i mean it is considered part of the it's an early fifth generation console right. but a lot of the subsequent fifth generation consoles really did have many of the same features but did them much better i feel like just like shopping out your licensing i feel like it's simultaneously a brilliant but i think at the end of the day kind of hurt it it, it did hurt 3do in terms of selling maybe ultimately i don't know if it hurt the 3do like i don't know it didn't necessarily hurt trip or the 3do company it hurt the product itself well, one of the things that it did, and, you know, when people that know what the 3DO is, they think of this almost immediately, because you were going to different manufacturers, and manufacturers that were manufacturing somebody else's hardware and coming out with a gaming system that was unproven, they manufactured very few of them, and as a result, there wasn't the uh, benefit of mass production, namely being price point. The 3DO right. had the distinction uh, at the time of being one of, if not the most expensive console. Price point wise, it rivaled even the Neo Geo. The Neo Geo console was 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 less expensive than the 3DO. Obviously, the games were much more expensive. We can talk about that later. But the console itself. I purchased a 3DO, and I purchased it myself. I purchased mine in 1994, 1993 or 1994. I was in high school, but I had always worked. I've worked since I was 12 years old. I always wanted my own money, and I never wanted to have to deal with my parents kind of telling me what I you know, did with their money, so I wasted my own money on video games. That console, when I bought it, brand new, in 1993, was, uh, was I want to say, $600. I think Eventually, you could buy it for four, um, and it did not have a, a, a pack-in game. It had a sampler CD. So lame. Yeah, although I will say that sampler disc, what it did was it sampled the different types of things that you could do on the 3DO. So right. one of the best things that it had on it was, so in the day, my favorite cartoon of the day was Batman the Animated Series. And my favorite episode of Batman the Animated Series of all time is Heart of Ice, which was the original Mr. Freeze episode. Mm -hmm. Well, that disc had the entire episode of Heart of Ice on it. So I was just like, wow, this is made for me. <laughs> and it looked better than broadcast like the quality and it's like oh it's a cartoon i don't know it really did it looked better it sounded incredible they had remastered the sound it really said hey we play movies too it was your heart of ice player yeah for, well until i bought <laughs> games for it yeah um it also had a couple of goofy demos on it and stuff like that it's funny and kind of sad that it never really saw any kind of a movie market beyond interactive pornography because mm. it did have mm. a few soft core porn games and we're not even not even hardcore a couple soft core right. porn games on it and that was about the extent of its uh of its video potential and it had a bunch of peripherals planned things to make it uh, you know a, a high-end cd player things you know and, and a lot of stuff that never ended up actually happening because it was almost doomed from the get-go right that price tag just killed it at the at the start line and a, and a lot of that price tag stems from the fact that they were licensing it right mm -hmm. ultimately at the end of the day for our listeners to understand kind of how the business side of this works essentially trip set it up so that he'd get a royalty of every copy of any system or game sold of three dollars sounds like a great deal well you as the manufacturer of the console you need to make a profit 
because if you don't make a profit, you have to spend money to make this system that you then have to pay $3 to make. So ultimately you have to, if it's an expensive product to make based on the design work, you have to still price it so you make money, which is where the initial 3DO offerings came from, where I was reading that Trip was saying that the uh, MSRP, the suggested MSRP was $699, which is still $699 back in 1993. Well over $1,200 today. But you know, Seth, keep in mind that one of the things that can offset that if you're a centralized manufacturer is software sales. Yeah, So, exactly. for example, Sony to this day, does not make, they lose money for every PlayStation they sell. 100%, because they manufactured in-house. You buy a PlayStation 5, that PlayStation 5 costs you $600, it costs them $1,000 to make it. Right. But they enter into high-dollar licensing agreements with companies, they have in-house software developers that release these games, and they make their nut back immediately. The 3DO structure didn't allow for that. They saw some success with a few games that really did, you know, carry them through to be three, you know, for that system to to last for the three years. Really, we're talking three solid years in North America, four in Japan before it before it tanked. Like their greatest exclusive, and people bought 3DOs to play this game is they had the original Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo that wasn't available until it wasn't available on any other system until later in Sony. And it was a, it's a beautiful port. It's an absolutely yeah. gorgeous port. I mean, to this day, it, it it's, you know, with the exception of loading screens, it's arcade perfect. But you had to buy an arcade stick for it because otherwise the button layout is dreadful, by the way. You barely have six buttons on that controller to be able to because you had three buttons up front, two shoulder buttons and a start button. That start button had to be integrated into your fighting. I ended up having an arcade stick for it because I'm a giant nerd and spend too much money on video games. I had an arcade stick that I could use for the 3D that had connections for 3DO, Super Nintendo, and maybe Genesis as well. So it was a very expensive stick. My God, I spent way too much money on video games in high school. But, you know, when you had this licensing thing, you'd think, oh, well, you know, Gold Star pays a large licensing fee to make this this system. They didn't have that kind of thing in if they had went to to these companies and say you know I'll li- you know we'll license this game for an upfront cost and then a small per unit they probably would have done better instead they said this is our per unit take you have to build around that right and the guys who were manufacturing it were hardware manufacturers they weren't software people. So really, you wouldn't see a lot of games coming out from Panasonic. You didn't see any software come out of any of those companies. And, and you know, Exactly, because that's not but, what they did. Yeah, but, the, but they didn't look at it that way, Seth. They looked at it as, okay, the video game market has come back from the dead. And it has come back to such a degree now that they, you know, it is, I see the potential. So I'm, I'm, I'm working for Sanyo, for example. I'm in an office in Japan. I, I, you know, I go, okay, Sony's got this deal. Sony, who has never made a video game in their life, has a deal with Nintendo. They're going to make Nintendo's uh, disc system. Like, like th- right. this is a big deal. I have an opportunity to get in on the ground floor of video gaming, which is something I've never explored before as Sanyo or Panasonic or Gold Star. And this is a very advantageous way for me to do it because there's no, there's no infrastructure on my part. I don't have to design anything. All I have to do is design as an aesthetic and a hardware together (laughs) yeah you know you know and i can choose how i want to do it hey i'm sanyo you know i've got a a factory full of cd players that i can use this infrastructure to create video game systems out of it was you know trip sold it very attractively to these companies that way and in many ways he was right it could have worked but they didn't approach it with the future in mind they didn't approach it in such a way where they go okay well we need to find a way to, to make the initial investment work and then foresee out into the future what things are going to you know happen one of the things that they did which in this day you know would be fine because video games are really cheap to make in this day and age they 3DO reached out to a lot of small development houses um and there are a few notables the very first game from Naughty Dog was for the 3DO. I believe it was Way of the Warrior. It was a horrible Mortal Kombat ripoff. Dreadful. 
absolutely dreadful. And we saw a certain racing series start on the 3DO, the little Need for Speed property. Need for Speed. Need for Speed. Road Rash. Yeah, Road Rash was brought over because I th- Road Rash, I believe, was an arcade. It was an arcade game, but it was an arcade game that had not been ported effectively to other systems. This right. was the first. Well, I mean, and that was the thing that these 32-bit systems were striving for was arcade emulation. Yes. Yeah. So that you didn't have to do what Neo Geo did. You didn't have to create a system that just literally played your arcade boards. Yeah, because there was still a market for arcades going to the arcade and putting quarters into machines. Absolutely. And if they could capture that remaining hang-on and really bring those arcade games to the home, then they could get those quarter dollars into their pocket. And I, I do feel like, though, in order to be successful at that, you do need a convincing price point. See, I agree with you to an extent, but I feel like you could have approached it differently. It was very clear that 3DO was marketed was not marketed to kids and kids weren't spending real money at the arcade adults or older teens and 20s and 30s they were spending real money at the arcade still because that was the experience they had when they were kids so 3do was marketing to an older player base so in their mind the older player base can afford more money and they're right they just didn't have the software it's also kind of um fascinating to look at because video games are adjacent to the toy category, right? They're not the toy category, but there are some video game developers and system hardware builders who approach the category like it's a toy and Mm -hmm. market it to the kids. And kids are important in marketing because they are the need factor because they're going to bug the parent until the parent spends the money. That's why toy companies run commercials during their made cartoons that they created. Where then there's other video game companies. I like Nintendo. I feel like Nintendo matches their marketing to their, they're like, the people who got the NES's children are now, when they got to the N64, are now older and need more mature titles. And they kind of evolved their marketing to be a little bit more to go with who their demographic was as they evolved. And yet there is still no better example of a company that has successfully marketed to the youngest demographic as well, because you look at the comparison between Nintendo and 3DO. So the same age people are spending money on that console. It's who is going to play it. You know, I'm not going to spend 600 bucks for my kid's video game system, but I'll spend $600 for my own video game system. Like that's, that's what they were counting on. And there weren't enough. It was niche. It was a little too niche to have that kind of price. So in that, I do agree with the price point. Um, I just don't think it had to be that way. Right. And there were later systems that were released, not that long after the original 3DO was released that were $100 cheaper, $200 cheaper because 3DO didn't maintain any requirement to stay at their MSRP. There was no um, what's known in the industry as a map policy. There was no minimum advertised price. And because there was no minimum advertised price, if you were one of the manufacturers and you figured out how to make the system a little bit cheaper, you could sell it cheaper. And if you're a retailer, you could sell it cheaper. So ultimately 3DO was like, well, it's not selling well because it's priced. Yeah, buddy, it just came out $200 cheaper and it's still not selling well. (laughs) I I think price was a a factor. I think there was a number of other things that played into how ultimately how it performed in the market. Well, I mean, Sony's systems uh, and and the Xbox as well are still considered rather expensive, especially Mm -hmm. in comparison to things like the Switch, for example. But what do those systems have that the 3DO didn't. The 3DO did not have the software to make it a must-buy system. Sony right now could charge $2,000 for a PlayStation, and people will scrape it together to be able to play the games that are either exclusive to that system or that are so popular to that system. Of course, they also have brand loyalty, tribalism, stuff like that. Because, I mean, like, like, I'm part of the Sony tribe. I've never owned an Xbox. I will never own an Xbox. I have no desire to own an Xbox. That being said... 3DO did not have anything that made no one was like I gotta buy a 3DO so I can play this sure they had Street Fighter but I think it was a little too late and you certainly can't you know bank on a single game and the games they were releasing while many were very good there was no cultural touchstone there was nothing there were no must-haves for the 3DO and that's that in my opinion is what ultimately doomed that system right because you didn't really get what could have been so one of the games that did sell very well on it 
which you probably own a copy of or wanted a copy, was Gex. Oh, I owned Gex. And I feel like Gex, if that was, instead of coming out in 1995, which was two years after the 3DO hit market, if they were able to launch the console with Gex and had like a mascot that really supported it, like the Sega had with Sonic, Nintendo had with Mario, and everyone's got their mascot Mm -hmm. if they were able to launch the 3do with the gex and maybe had some not even i don't even care about the price point per se i want i think they should have had some consistency with their price point and if they had consistency with price point and a gex is a launch title they may have been more successful than where they were today. Also, I just want to, we keep calling it the 3DO. It's, it is actually like 3DO interactive multiplayer because the company itself was 3DO. And then each of the Panasonic, Sanyo, uh, Gold Star, they had like Panasonic had Panasonic FZ1 REAL 3DO interactive multiplayer. I feel like kind of if there was some level of like i i I don't know like not necessarily unity but like some level of like standard of naming like if they were like this is not i don't call it the company's name like sony doesn't Mm -hmm. release the sony like call something call it a you know whatever a fairchild f or a playstation or something call it something if they called it something beyond just a 3do and they standardized their manufacturers had a gex launch title and had a consistent price point i think this would be a different story i mean i think you've effectively kind of nailed down the 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 many aspects that resulted in the failure of the platform and you know it's not like it's not like i I, you know the branding of the system i think is somewhat i don't want to say secondary but i I think wasn't so much the problem as much as it was a symptom of the problem. This the the systems, you know, I, I think having 3DO as the den- identifier for the system wasn't necessarily a bad thing because the fact is that you had these these, th- these three systems, they all played the same games. It really just depended on what you wanted. Now, what would have been probably smarter to do is different price points for different features for different systems. Mm. Okay, I'm Gold Star. I want to make the base 3DO. This is what the 3DO does. And then Panasonic goes, well, I want to make the deluxe 3DO that does all of this. Doesn't need peripherals. Doesn't need this. Doesn't need that. And then, you know, Sanyo's like, well, I'll make the one in the middle. You know, and you could have done that. There are different strategies you could have done. Yeah. No one either thought of that or cared to do it or wanted to go in that direction. And the thing is, the releases, particularly the North American releases that they had, Again, the games were were just they was just too niche of a system. It was too boutique of a system. I use that word when you and I were talking about this. You know, we talked kind of in, in pregame. Yes, the Neo Geo in North America is another, and I owned a Neo Geo as well. Like I said, I spent way too much money on video games when I was a kid. The Neo Geo was a very niche system, but the thing about the Neo Geo is the Neo Geo was huge in Japan. It's you know the the SNK right. is still a, a king in Japan. The Japanese love their fighting games. And that was really Neo Geo's biggest. I mean, they had that was their big thing. They had shooters. They had some platformers. I mean, Metal Slug is still one of the greatest shooting platformers ever. So much fun to play. But 3DO was trying to fulfill a need that nobody had. So the North American game releases were very boutique or very niche style releases without, you know, with the exception of the few AAA titles they had. You had a lot of games that either were very Japanese in style games that would probably do well today um my one of my favorite games was um guardian war which was a tactical role-playing game probably would have done rather well today but it used very japanese golem type character you know golem as in like, you know, creations, not as an, oh, my precious, you know, it was a very Japanese style game, tech and medieval and gods and stuff like that, that would have been successful if marketed a certain way. But like, you know, you look at that game, that's very, that's very uh, Japanese. Police Knots was very science fiction soap opera RPG. Again, in 1993, nobody wanted to play that. You know, it did have an interesting lineup of games. It had the first full console port of uh, Wing Commander 
Commander 3 Heart of the Tiger, which is a great video game, and FMVs did very well on the 3DO. Uh, FMVs were what could have done quite a bit for 3DO. Uh, you take those PC ports and you put them on console, make them more accessible, easier to play. Um, so there were examples of a few of those, but you talk about Gex. Gex was a really good platformer. It was voiced interestingly. It was funny, but like you said, it was too little too late and it wasn't marketed. They had so little marketing for 3DO. Um, and it's not like you could go to Target and buy a 3DO either. That was the other thing too. Trying to track the damn thing down was not always the easiest thing. I was able to because there was an independent video game store down the street where there was this one guy who saw me walk in and go, ah, oh, Jim's here. I'm making a car payment this week. Um, <laughs> you could go to Electronics Boutique and Babbage's and those type of stores from back in the day and buy a 3DO and buy some games, maybe. So it had bad it had bad distribution, it was very expensive, didn't have a whole lot of games, and had absolutely no marketing. I don't know how they thought it would succeed. I, though I do think it's fun because they had the same kind of liberal policy when it came to releasing the console, shopping it out to manufacturers, that they did with the, the games themselves. So we got like a weird collection of games onto the 3DO, including, don't worry folks, Doom <laughs> on the 3DO, which... I mean, you need to have Doom on everything. But very few people said, well... I am going to pay $600 for a console, right. 50 bucks for a game when I already have a computer and can go out and buy Doom for 30 bucks and play it on my computer. You this niche system who your yeah. target audience was 20-something tech heads. These people already owned computers. Your PC ports were good for console gamers, but Doom wasn't going to sell 3DOs. I, I feel like if the 3DO was modernized, like if it didn't get released in 93 and was a modern modern take on a system and was released today and had where they were going to bring all these games that they brought to the system i think it would actually do pretty well i think it would tap into that nostalgia buys and i feel like because there are game systems that are being released today uh chinese imports and all of that that do a lot of emulation and the gamers are trying to find that those devices to be like analog pocket to play up like the game boys and i feel like we're like kind of almost i don't know if we're going into or out of but we're in that like era of where game games can't do wrong right now and if you yeah. put together something like a 3DO, not saying re-release -re the 3DO today. I meant if the 3DO concept came out today instead of back in 93, I think it would be a different reception. I think the 3DO concept, and I mean the licensing concept, I think using strategies developed over the past 20 years, you could have the potential for a successful system in that licensing would be much different in licensing the hardware and being able to create your own hardware, you could have, I could see in this day, Toshiba doing a 3DO. I could see Panasonic doing a 3DO and doing it in such a way where, you know, they've paid the 3DO company to be able to make the machine. They can make the machine whatever the hell they want it to be and put it out there. And even with the not as, not as mainstream titles, I think it would be a very, would be a marginally successful third tier system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm someone I'm someone that always had at least two systems in my home. I've and for me, my secondary system has been after the Super Nintendo, Nintendo became my secondary system. I had a PlayStation and an N64. For a while I had a PlayStation and a Dreamcast, for example, things like that. Which, you know, and of course, you know, Dreamcast is its own great story about how and why that thing failed, considering mm. how absolutely gorgeous of a video game platform it was was but that's neither here nor there we did do an episode on the dreamcast earlier in our mm -hmm. past so if you uh control f our episode list and look for dreamcast i'm sure you could find it but I do think the Dreamcast, again, and not not this is not a Dreamcast show, but I do think the Dreamcast is a little overhyped. Um, there were a lot of great things to the Dreamcast, but there are a lot of dumb things about the Dreamcast that people don't think about. Um, there are a lot of reasons why it failed. We're in that stage especially people our age, where we look back on previous experiences and everything's just tinged with that nostalgia. And everything is, we think back and we're like, we had a great time playing Green Dreamcast. And then you boot up Dreamcast and you take Dreamcast out and put X system and you boot up that system. And, you know, especially if you're not running it on like a CRT, you may not have the, the experience you remember. 
because you are falling on your nostalgia. And when your nostalgia is faced with reality, reality doesn't always hold up. Not everything's going to be the NES because the NES was state of the art when we played it and we loved it. And today it's nostalgic, but the games are still so challenging. The games are still, you know, it's like, wow, this looks like a, a very simple game, but God damn, this is a really good game. You know, they're still making Mega Man games today, but nothing will ever beat those first three Mega Man titles or even the first three Mega Man X titles. Like those are still, when it comes to Mega Man, I mean, the gold standard for Mega Man is still Mega Man 2. In many ways, the gold standard for video games, for many video games is Mega Man 2. I mean, that game is, as far as 8-bit games go, that is a perfect video game. You know, nostalgia is not always wrong. It's not always just nostalgia. Can tinge your glasses though. 100%. 100%. Idiots like me on Twitch who play retro games are counting on that. That's right. You're like, oh, Jim's playing Time Cop. And then you okay, get there. Okay, Time Cop like, oh. doesn't count. <laughs> okay, so Time Cop. Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll, really quick, everybody, we'll take a momentary yes, detour. I, we, I, am in the, I am in the presence of a world record holder. Okay, I do not hold the world record. I hold second place. I am not a speedrunner by any stretch of the imagination, but I do something on my, my Twitch stream called Terrible Game Tuesday, um, where once a month, well, now it's once a month. It used to be once a week. I will take one of the worst games ever made and play it. For example, last night was Terrible Game Tuesday, and I played Star Wars Masters of Terrace Kasai, uh, which was the Star Wars fighting game for the PlayStation. Oh, it is I widely regarded. No, you're wrong. You don't love no, that game. That game is garbage. You I, don't I realize how bad that game. You think you love that game. It's not. You don't. So I was playing Time Cop one night, which is one of the worst games ever made, and my viewers browbeated me into speedrunning it. So I played that game for months. And uh, there's there are no glitches. There's no uh, there are no speed run strats other than it being 100 percent skill based. And I finally got a second place time. And when I saw that the first place time shaved off an entire two minutes from that time. And if you understand speed running, you know, two minutes is an eternity. I'm like, I'm never going to shave two minutes off of this run. So I'll be satisfied with second place. So, yeah, so second place in time cop on speedrun.com is a dubious honor to say the least you should get some really professional framed or like a plaque hang it somewhere in your house and never explain to your son about it like don't even <laughs> mention anything about it just let it years years let it just build now's the perfect time to do it right because he's not going to remember anything right but he'll right, grow up right. and just just have it be in the background and then have like one day just be like dad what is this like what's what what type of award was this and then you can you can you can shatter his world if you want a fancy plaque i maybe maybe i can help you out now to wrap up the uh the 3do as it were sure i want to i want to just touch base on kind of how it wasn't primed for success sure in in uh when it was going out for October of 1993, a good, relatively good time to launch a game. People were still buying primarily your big expenses for video games were still in December for Christmas so or, and other holidays that happened in that time. Mm -hmm. And they did a huge push for what was going to come out on the 3DO in marketing materials. None of them. None of them. Made it. None of them. Zero Not games that were single one they were saying return fire road rash fifa international soccer jurassic park all were slated to be on launch titles not a single one launched so they were pushed back and also there was issues where panasonic one of the lead manufacturers didn't make enough supply for launch day so retailers could only put one or two units on your shelf and let me tell you if you have three interested customers there you go you that's it there you're not moving any more units for that day the only launch games for 3do that were really and there were about 12 of them. Uh, the only launch games that were really of any, I want to say, excitement that people cared about was Dragon's Lair. It was a port of the Laserdisc arcade game, which if you've ever played it, once you've beaten it, you never need to play that stupid game again. Lemmings, which was a popular PC game, and uh, Rebel Assault, uh, Star Wars Rebel Assault, those, which was a, a rail shooter, which is still a lot of fun to play today. Those were the three that people were 
buying that were, you know, if you were going to own a, a 3DO, those are the three games that you probably really wanted. My favorite game from the launch, and it's still like one of my favorite games of all time, is Star Control 2, which if you were a Genesis owner, you may have played Star Control 1, which was a tactical battle game. Star Control 2 is a much better game. It's actually one of the best science fiction role-playing games ever, but no one knew about it because they didn't market any of these games. But you saw, you knew Dragon's Lair because of the arcade game. You knew Lemmings because Lemmings was on every damn system um, and was the same game effectively. And then you knew Star Wars Rebel Assault because it was Star Wars. And I'm, I'm, and I'm pretty sure that they were close to launch. I don't know if those titles were even launch launch because it looks like I think the only launch title that was available was Crash and Burn, the singular game that was uh, available at the launch time. Yeah, I mean, their, their launch was abysmal. Their launch yeah. was absolutely abysmal. You know, no one wants to buy the system in in October and have to wait until March for the games to come out for it. Now, mind you, that's the North American launch. There were a bunch of games in Japan, but none of those games came over. Or I should right, say none of them. Right. A lot of them didn't come over. And when they did, they came over late. By mid-November, uh, the 3DO had sold a whopping 30,000 units in North America, which is bad. You would not want to sell that little if you were a video game manufacturer, especially because really you're selling the most on launch day. Maybe you'll get a little uptick in Christmas, but then you will have zero sales from January till Christmas. The uh, Japanese launch was a little more successful with 70,000 launched. However, the Japanese version would eventually be relegated as the pornographic machine, as we mentioned earlier. Yep. Now keep in mind, you know, that same Christmas, Super Nintendo was still selling an incredible number of consoles, and that console at that point was almost four years old, or three right. years old, rather. A and Sega was making money hand over fist with peripherals. And I think we're looking at uh, 93, 95, we're coming up to PlayStation and 64, like those consoles that really are going to dominate the market. Yeah, 3DO, their thought was, okay, we're going to be a CD-based system we're going to grab market share from Sega CD owners. And that system, which was awesome, but very limited in what it could do graphically, what it could do performance-wise, I think in their mind, like, oh, well, this is a the first truly CD-based system, um, CD being state-of-the-art. But again, as we said, it didn't take advantage of the software opportunities, not only on yes. release, but even that first batch of games that did come out, besides the games that I mentioned, nothing hugely stand out. The developers were actually finding it difficult to program for it because it was so advanced. Well, I mean, that's the thing too, who was that, you know, it's like can I make a game of the quality of, you know, Mortal Kombat and put it on the 3DO? Well, sure you could, but it's kind of a waste of the 3DO at that point, you know? It's like, yep. you know, it's made for a specific kind of game, and it was made for a specific kind of game that a lot of developers just weren't making yet. So, like, that's the 3DO. A Cadillac that was sold when people were just buying Hondas. <laughs> you know what? I, I liken it. I, I call the 3DO the DeLorean of video games. You know, that's a great, it's a great thing. It was the DeLorean of video games without the cocaine. Very shiny, very cool. Um, it was sleek. It was futuristic. It didn't have gullwing doors, but it was, yeah, it was this thing that you looked at and said, oh, that's awesome. I wish I had that. And then when you got it, you were like, oh, wow, it's, it isn't what I thought it was going to be, or it's not what it promised to be. So if you want to get a 3DO and they are out there at a decent price, if you can find someone that just wants to get rid of the damn thing. I bought a pair Panasonic 3DO for about $250. I went on like Facebook Marketplace. I tracked it down. Buying a second controller was, I had to go to Retro World Gaming Expo to buy a second controller for it. I almost bought a, a TurboGrafx-16 while I was there too. If you remember, I, I really- That's right. I, I actually may go buy one this year. It is not easy to come by because there were so few units. Now I will say, and I don't, okay, how do I say this so that I don't potentially get Seth in trouble? An interesting thing about 3DO games is 3DO games 
are um, built on CD technology. Ah, yeah. And it, they were so early in CD in that there's no copy protection. So playing games on the 3DO is probably not as difficult to come by as you might think. Now, while I will never condone anyone on going on a ROM site, downloading a, an entire you know list of ROMs and then burning them to CDs so that you can play them on the game on the on the console, I would never condone that. If you are a nefarious type and thought about doing that there's nothing stopping you from doing it but of course you would never download a rom and make a copy of a game that you didn't already own so right we do not condone downloading games illegally. You should always own your games. But once again, archive.org is a great place to research. Now, one of the other problems with buying a 3DO console is that um, they are not as robust, not as hardy as, you know what, let's just say it. They, 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 are, they haven't aged well. And unlike the NES, which they made so many and they're so easy to come by, they're, you know, parts for them are difficult. The Panasonic specifically is not an easy machine to service. I will say that it is not difficult to replace the, the lens on a 3DO as it uses a standard CD lens uh, of its day and those are really easy to come by on eBay and things like that because while they didn't make you know 10 million 3DO they sh sure as hell made 10 million and more CD players that use those lenses so those parts are easy to come by but things like motors and god forbid you're, you you want to mod the thing it's next to impossible to mod it the only sites that I have found for modding 3DOs are Russian sites, um, and there isn't a very big 3DO modding community and even a smaller maintenance community. So when it comes to maintenance, if you can get your hands on the, the Gold Star top loader, you're going to have an easier time and you're going to have a much more reliable system than the Sanyo or the Panasonic. But the Panasonic is the iconic 3DO system, and it's probably the easiest one to find because those are the ones they made the most of. It is a very important chapter in the history of video games, if anything is a cautionary tale. It is a system that was uh, released before its time. It, it came out too early. I think it came out five years too early. I think it would have been much less expensive to develop five years from then, and you could have done a whole hell of a lot more. I don't think the licensing concept is what killed it. I think the licensing concept is what hamper, hampered its manufacture, and I, I think that, you know, is one of the things that affected it. But I think in the end, the biggest issue was there was no reason to really want to own a 3DO besides, hey, look at this cool thing I have. And with that, that's going to be our 3DO episode. We're going to go into our retro rewind section since the Byway Pass is still on vacation. We're not going to talk about the games. It would be weird if Jim had to play whatever game I gave Zach. I gave him uh, Five Goes West, an American story Ooh, on the SNES. An American not, Tale, yeah. An American Tale, yeah. Not the best game. Great movie. Can, great movie. Yes, great movie. Not a great game, but you weren't required to play it because I wouldn't subject my friends to it, only my brother. He had me playing Clock Tower um, with the translation uh, for the SNES as well, which is a choose-your-own-adventure horror game. I'd, I'd rather play Clock Tower than Five of yes, Goes West. I, I, I did win in this. He did have me He did have me play one of our first retro rewinds. He had me playing the Quake mod X-Men Ravages of the Apocalypse, oh. which is probably one of the most horrendous games. Oh. So I think he's been... I think he's been paying me back since then because that game, if, if you need a terrible Tuesday game, that is a great game. I will keep that in mind. Yeah, I haven't heard of that in years. It's, it's horrible. I, I, I hate that game. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Jim, what's a, um, I, you're a retro game player. Um, your Twitch specializes, Evil Jim X specializes in retro games and playing um, older games. So what's another retro game that you've been playing um, beyond what we've talked about today? You mean like a recommendation? Yeah, well, what what about, what's a retro game that you played that there was an assumption that you went in that it would hold up or it would not hold up, and it did either the opposite, like it held up or it didn't hold up? Um, a game that still holds up today that I will always recommend to people is my favorite video game of all time, and that is Final Fantasy IV. Uh, released in the United States is Final Fantasy II for the Super Nintendo. I cannot recommend that game enough. Square Enix recently released through Steam the Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters, which are 
completely worth it if for any other reason than the soundtrack remastering alone. It is uh, sublime on the ears. Um, so when it comes to a game that still holds up to this day, Final Fantasy IV is a quintessential Final Fantasy game. Um, I recommend it. I always recommend it. It is better than most, if any, Final Fantasy game, including six, which is a great game, but four has a better story. So that's one that I think is awesome. A video game, retro game that I've played that I thought would be awesome, but doesn't hold up. Boy, there are so many. There are so many. I'm trying to think of a really disappointing one. When I was a kid, there was a game that I got for the Super Nintendo um, that looked really cool, had a great cover, and it looked like, you know, it looked a little janky, but but it looked like it could be a lot of fun, but it turned out to be one of the biggest headaches ever, is a game called Draken or Draken. It's a fantasy game. I can't stress to you how much that game sucks. Castlevania 64 is another one. I can't stress to you how horrible that game is and how it could have been awesome. I love shopping for video games based on their cover. I miss that. There, You don't do that anymore. Nobody does it. And I miss going to like Blockbuster or whatever and picking out your rental and just being like, well, this game looks good. And just taking it home and being like, no. So my game, just as a retro rewind, is Rocket Knight Adventures, which is a 1993 platform game developed and published by Konami. And it was released for the Sega Mega Drive. There was also Sparkster, which was released for the SNES. I believe two Sparkster games and two Rocket Knight games, uh, two on each system um and it is phenomenal it's great i love the original rocket knight's rocket good knight. stuff it's rocket knight is glorious i love it it was the first video game that i played on the sega genesis era of video games so i played like earlier games at my friend you know like the the, the uh the zelda the original zelda for the nes and i played atari however rocket knight was the first game that i played where i a acknowledged that I was like, oh, I could own this. And I asked for it for Christmas. I said, I really want a Sega Genesis. And I was able, I got a Sega Genesis. Humorously enough, I don't know if I ever got Rocket Knight as a kid. I think I got oh, wow. Rocket Knight later. But like, so we had all these other video games for Sega Genesis. And I was always like, I, I just want to play that game with that possum. But <laughs> lo and behold, I now own Rocket Knight on multiple systems. And I, I play it pretty regularly just because it's one of those games, you know, just that good old fun stuff. So that's going to be the end. I want to once again, thank Jim for standing in for my brother. Uh, he is also one one of my extended brothers anyway. Uh, so it's not anything that's new for Jim to stand in for Zach. And hopefully Zach feels better. So if everyone wants to wish Zach a speedy recovery from, from whatever crawled up into his crow. Jim, do you want to give us a, one more rundown of uh, how our view, listener, I was going to say viewers, but nobody ever listens to us because we have faces designed for radio, as my mother says. Uh, do you want to give a rundown for our listeners for how they can find you? Um, if you're interested in, in any kind of uh, audio or video production, or if you're looking for a performance coach, you can catch me at bohemiacreative.com. Uh, otherwise, if you want to watch me play video games uh, at 10 p.m. Eastern time through to like midnight or one o'clock on Twitch, I'm available at uh, twitch.tv slash evilgymx. You can also find me on Twitter at evilgymx. That's who I am and how to find me. And I'm uh, I'm only as much fun as you uh, make me. So come on Twitch and be ridiculous with me. For sure. It's always a good time. I always appreciate the streams when I can catch them uh jim is a, a phenomenal human being and and he'll be back he's unfortunately stepped into the thing that all of our guests step into where they become uh a contractionally obliged to come onto the show whenever we need them to and be a lifetime brother of the classic gaming brothers so uh for us for us being the sh the the sh the show itself. Uh, if you want to find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitch, we are at Classic Gaming Brothers. On Twitter, we are CG Brothers Pod. We do stream much more infrequently than Jim. I think the last time we streamed was like a year and a half ago. I now, think it's, that's about like that. right. Yeah, it's it's obnoxious. Um, we do have thoughts about doing some additional streams, but we also have zero time. So if you want to invent a day sometime after Friday and before Saturday, that would be great. <laughs> and if you want to send us an email, uh, you can send us a email to classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com and you can say that was the best episode ever because there was no Zach and we will uh, we'll take Zach out and Jim will become the new co-host. Uh, if you want to also check out our website it's classicgamingbrothers.com. It is horribly outdated and that is mostly due to my fault uh, since I am the webmaster and I'm a bad webmaster 
to say the least. And well, at least you're you consistent, to, Seth. We only promise one thing, and that's the episode gets released on Sunday. Anything else beyond that is gravy. And finally, if you want to listen to the show, you're already doing that, but we're also available wherever podcasts are available to listen to. So, did I forget anything, Jim? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I'm not Zach. And I'm Seth. We're the Classic Gaming Brothers. Oh, is that how this works? We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. Thank you.